Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, TNT analyst Kevin McHale. I tell you what, for Vikings fans, Green Bay playing the Bears is like, do you want to get hung or do you want to get shot? With your host, Galliot Anderson, stops it down behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations, Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of The Nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip-off. Hang Time Podcast, episode 49. This is Seku Smith from the Hang Time blog at NBA.com. My magnificent partner in crime, Lang Whitaker, executive editor of Slam Magazine, is joining us via Skype from New York. Lang. Yo. What are you doing? Trying to figure out what episode this is. <laughs> this is, this is uh, I, I think it's hey, it's 49. Let's 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 roll with 49. We had the, the March Madness special last week, which doesn't always get a number, but I think I mistakenly assigned it a number anyway. So uh, this this is officially episode 49. So uh, 50. Yes, next week we'll have our big blowout party for the fifth episode. You know the big monster fiftieth episode showdown. Uh, if if March Madness, if the definition of March Madness is technically too much basketball in a short period of time, then I am I am officially overdosed on March Madness because yeah. uh, I watch basketball basically from ten a.m. to midnight the last five days, and uh, I'm either getting a divorce or getting put out of the house or or both. Um, <laughs> After all the basketball I watched, would you? What did you see? You know, th- there was NBA games, obviously, and NCAA tournament games. What did you see that stuck out to you from the weekend? I mean, if you I could wa- pick one thing, yeah, I watched a lot of college this weekend, just because I never do all year, and this is kind of the one weekend I always try to watch as much as I can, and it's yeah. easy to because there's so much on, and there's all the different channels. One thing I liked was last night how um, it seems like in the past there there used to be on Sunday nights the games would be over by by primetime because CBS would show their primetime stuff. But this year, because Turner's involved, they had games on late last night, which was I thought kind of cool uh, to watch the late games on Sunday night. The, the one, um, you know, I to, for my brackets, I kind of took a guess because I don't watch games and I, I don't really know a lot about the teams, but I tried to uh, – I figured like every year, you know, the couple teams make the Final Four that are – regular top seated teams that you know not a surprise and there's always one team that maybe people didn't see getting there or that surprising people so i got duke i got um kansas and then i picked unc and byu mm-hmm. figuring that unc's got so many good players that you know it's a matter of time before they kind of get it together maybe they get on a run and i know byu lost their big guy but 
I just thought it would be fun to pick them just because they're fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> and so I liked watching them this weekend. And they, so far, they're so good with them. Yeah. I, uh, well, as heartbreaking as it was to watch. Yeah, sorry about Michigan. My Wolverines go down yesterday. I, I didn't have, I didn't know what to expect from the Duke game. But, you know, I will say this for as critical as some people are about college basketball, and I've certainly been among that group that says that it's not, you know, the quality of game that I love. What what's going on now with this collaboration between Turner Sports and CBS and having every game on the air and the amount of absolute dramatic, you know, finishes. Yeah. And, you know, for for not knowing half the players' names, to be honest with you, with you know, yeah. having to sit there with my laptop and look a dude up every time they mention <laughs> mention a different name. <laughs> the the fun of the tournament is just watching these things go down to the wire, and there were tons of dramatic finishes and, and good and good matchups and good games. I uh, I'm cheating. I'm watching the games and trying to see who who looks like a future pro um, mm-hmm. and who looks like a guy we'll be talking about here on the Hang Time podcast or in some other NBA conversation in the years to come. And uh, I had two really good arguments over the weekend. One about Jimmer Fredette uh-huh. and whether or not he's going to be a good pro, and then one about Kimba Walker. And whether yeah. or not he's going to be a good pro, um, I voted nay on Fredette and yay on Walker, mostly because I thought, or I think Walker is a guy who I could see guarding and operating at his position, which is point guard in the All NBA. Right. Um, Fredette, who's a fantastic scorer and really explosive scorer, I, I'm not sure he guards his position well enough to be an impact player in the NBA. Or, or or a player at all in the NBA, and I could be dead wrong, um, obviously. But uh, <laughs> you have been before. <laughs> I have I have missed the boat a time or two. Um, I just you know I don't I think with both of those guys, well, two things. Number one, I think with college guys in general, we we have this tend to sort of over scrutinize, and yeah. you know we we hold them to too high a standard. And almost everyone, you think, well, he's not going to be good in the NBA. Almost all those guys are going to be. They can be good in the NBA. They might not be great, yeah. But almost all of those guys can be good NBA players, and maybe that means, you know, you're a backup for seven years, but you play in the NBA for seven years. Right. But I, I think all those guys can be good. And then the other thing that I think is really going to make a big difference is the system that they all end up in. Like, you look at uh, like a Johnny Flynn at Syracuse, who, who was so great in college, but the way he's been used in Minnesota so far, it's totally different than the way he played at Syracuse, right. you know? So I think there's a lot of these guys who it depends where they go and what they're asked to do on that team. That's going to sort of dictate their future in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, I, and I don't I think we fall into the trap of categorizing guys or, you know, pigeonholing them in certain roles. Like for that's a big time score from, you know, from, Something that seems like it's off the beaten path in BYU out there on the west, you know, in, yeah. in the Western Time Zone, Mountain Time Zone. So you just automatically lump it. Well, he's like Adam Morrison, which isn't fair. But then I looked at his numbers, and and Morrison's were better in college, um, you know, their their last year. But it was like the same type dynamic, and I felt well, you know, I don't want to say that Fredette, <clears throat> his career has to be better than Morrison's in the NBA for it to be legitimate or whatever, but. There, there. To me, there's just something to the fact that guys who are really prolific scorers in college who who don't really have a, def, a, a defined position in the NBA tend to have a, a tough time blending and, and making themselves work in you know in a different position. And I don't, I didn't know how big Fredette was 
just watching him throughout the season, like you see his highlights, mm-hmm. and then I see him in the tournament. And if they're you know they're up against Gonzaga or somebody that you've maybe watched a time or two, and you can gauge his size, he gets shots off against everybody. So it's not like he's having a hard time doing that in college. But you know as well as I do, once you get to the pros, you know the number of guys at your position that you're going to face who aren't as good or better than you is really rare. You know, I mean, that's just a fact. So he's going to be playing guys who are a lot better than him physically and as well as guys who are just as skilled, if not more. And that's why I say it's, it's tough. You got to be a, you got to be a special player to do those same, you know, to, to, to have the same kind of impact in the pros. And, and like you said, you don't have to, it's not that you're disappointing. It's just sometimes it doesn't work from college to the pros. Right. So I don't know. It's going to, that's to me, that's the, one of the more interesting things about the tournament is, you know, just seeing who whose game is will end up translating. Mm-hmm. So, Seku, I mean, Lang, you mentioned you know system and where they fit in. So it seems to me, if we're talking about Fredette, then the question is, does he fit into the Jazz's system? Because <laughs> certainly Utah has to draft him. My, my buddies and I were discussing this weekend, like sort of the Tim Tebow analogy. Everyone right. wanted Jacksonville to get right. Tim, Tim Tebow for ticket sales and all that stuff. Do you feel the same way? I mean, does Utah have to get Fredette? I don't, uh, I don't know. I, people said the same thing. I, I, if I remember correctly, when uh, Bogut was coming out, like where would he, f- you know, like that you have to be some hometown hero, and uh, you know, I don't think so. Um, yeah, but Bogut was the number one pick. I mean, right, Utah right. Didn't have it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think so. I don't know that. <laughs> I don't know that they need to get their hands on for debt. Um, he, I mean, if he's if he's going to have a chance to play in the NBA, he's going to have to go to the right system for his game, which could be a lot of different places. So. I don't think, and, I don't, and if they have, I mean, I don't know if they want to stick him behind Devin Harris or how that would work out either. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, I don't know that it's the, so much that specific, right? Um, but Mike is trying to gloss over. You, you like how he mentioned his buddy yeah. talking to me. He, he kind of went right. <laughs> yeah, past you him. you did come in clothed today, which is a good thing. That means you didn't lose everything in Vegas this weekend. How was the how was the the boys Vegas weekend for the uh, start of March Madness, man? How was that? I mean, watching the basketball games out there is so crazy because nobody seems to have any – no one seems to care about the actual teams themselves. They only care about the numbers. Right. So you got a game that's, you know, a 24-point game at the end, and people are freaking out like it's the last second of the Final Four. It's just I – mean, to me, it's just so amusing to watch that. And as for the rest of it, I really don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I'm just checking. Are you going to make the mortgage this month or not? Just does anyone know if anyone's in need of a kidney? Just... <laughs> That's good though. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, you know, and I've I've never been to. Uh, I've heard that Vegas is the place to be, like a Super Bowl, and you know, at these you know big sporting events. You would assume being there, being at the event, is more important. But Vegas apparently rocks. You know, on these. Super Bowl weekend, uh, you know, NCAA I think, tournament. I think this weekend's the big one. I know some people who've gone for the opening NCAA tournament weekend. They yeah. say that's that's the like really amazing one to watch. Yeah, yeah I think it's this one in uh, Super Bowl weekend. Right, uh, they pulled out all the stops. We never never ended up making it over there, but uh, James Worthy and Clyde Drexler were doing some signing thing at the casino across the street. Uh, from we were staying at Caesar's Palace, mm-hmm. and uh, we didn't quite make it over there to see what they were up to. But right. Did That's... the actual Caesar stay there? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I need to check and see if they have a a, a payphone for my beeper. Was it pager, was the hotel pager friendly? <laughs> but uh, guys, and we we were talking about Fredette and Kimba and uh, our main man David Aldridge, of course, uh, in his morning tip, he's got the big board up and he talks about 
you know, these point guards that are, you know, that are all populating the yep. the uh, the tournament. And he's got them ranked, and his rankings are pretty interesting. Um, he's got Kyrie Irving number one on his yeah. big board, uh, the freshman from Duke. Kimball Walker, Brandon Knight from Kentucky, Nolan Smith, Fredette number five. Um, any any objections to DA's big board ranking of the top five point guards? No, you know I'm surprised he's he doesn't have up there. I'm looking at it right now. Um, it was Isaiah Thomas yeah. from Washington because I watched that Georgia game and I mean the, I don't know what it, off the top of my head what it was, but the plus minus with him on the floor and not on the floor was <laughs> just out of this world. Like whenever he was out of the game, they had nothing, and when he was in. That's what kept them going, and I, yeah. I thought he was pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm again this what we see now and what the NBA people see when they start examining these players is so drastically different. You know, um, yeah, there'll be some guy that we don't that we don't would necessarily single out that the NBA people will automatically say this. You know, this is a guy that can play. This guy can get it. So it's it's going to be very interesting. Um, but to to my point about Fredette. Uh, DA's got a comment in here <laughs> talking about Fredette's issue is defense. And this is, I'm, I'm reading from uh, David Aldridge's morning tip on NBA.com. Fredette's issue is defense. He doesn't play any. <laughs> it's not just that he he's a garden variety bad. He's historically bad, according to a lot of scouts. And there's a quote here that says, I think he's almost invisible defensively, one personnel director said. I watched Jackson Emery, Emery Fredette's backcourt made at BYU out there, and he's guarding like, one and a half guys. I don't think I've ever seen Fredette bend his knees at the defensive end. And to me, that that's going to be one of those things where even if it's not true, he's going to have to live that down in the pre-draft process. So, I mean, I would be very interested to see how he, how his stock, you know, twists and turns between now and draft time. It will be very, very interesting to see. Um, well, I see D.A., the, he goes on, and the one of the scouts says he thinks Fredette could be like Eddie House, basically. Yeah. Where you're like, uh, you know, a sniper comes in and just shoots from the wings, and and to that I say, like, is that so bad? I would love, <laughs> I would love to be Eddie House. <laughs> uh, <laughs> be uh, I don't know. I'm 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 really curious to see for that. I mean, to me, the other thing he has that uh, doesn't really project into a category is just he, he seems like he 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 fights really hard. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and he he has like that will to win, and he he wants to win. He just plays so tough and so hard, and like that. I don't even remember who it was. They won by twenty the other night, but he started slow, didn't really do much, and then he got hot, and yeah. then you know. But he kept him around, and then until he got going. Um, so I don't know. I think he's going to be an interesting player to watch. Yeah, well, he's the the funny thing is he's going to have to, like I said, guard at a certain position at the next level, and that yeah. position could very well be the one. That's one of you know arguably the deepest in terms of star you know quality players. Yeah. Um, you know I wrote something on the Hangtime blog this morning about Kyle Lowry, who's mm. averaging, he's I think he's averaging like nearly twenty one points, you know eight rebounds and five and a half or eight assists and five and a half rebounds his last ten games playing out of his mind. There's so many good point guards now in the NBA. Um, I'm not sure how you know I mean. I, it it would be daunting to me as a collegiate player, and they all come in with that crazy confidence, thinking they're going to come in and be stars. And you know they wouldn't be at that level if they didn't. Right. But, uh, what a what a daunting task to have to enter the NBA at that position right now, and face a murderous row of guys, <laughs> yeah. you know, night after night, 
uh, it, it'll be it'll be tough for the the very best of point guards. So um, good luck, Jimmer Fredette, when you see Derrick Rose and you know Rajon Rondo and Darren Williams and all these cats. Uh, <laughs> um, but speaking of the Windy City, Lang, uh, one of our favorite guys of all time is on the line with us now. Um, I like to call him the Godfather of uh, NBA writers. He is Steve Ashburner of NBA.com. And, uh, Ash, have you watched as much of this NCAA tournament the past few days as we have, or have you kept your tunnel vision strictly on the NBA? Well, I'll be honest with you. When I was pounding the beat covering Minnesota, I, I, I was never able to, uh, you know, I'd be, I'd be in transit, I'd be in a hotel room, I'd be, I'd be in a game. But since I got back, uh, got here, you know, to uh, have a little bit more slack time, less, less travel time, yeah, I mean, you get drawn into it. I got to admit, the Butler-Pitt uh, finish drew me into that. Usually you got to wait till guys are, are getting paid professionally for them to make dumb mistakes like that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the fact that, you know, my alma mater's still alive, Marquette, that drew me in a sure, little more. Sure, sure. And uh, the fact that I have some friends from Syracuse who I was particularly happy to, uh, <laughs> to see their team go down in that, you know. And, and yeah, whenever the score is close, I, you know, I like that. I like the, uh, the ability to see games and not have a, a guy in a truck somewhere deciding I'm going to see a few minutes of this game only. So I do like the format with the multiple networks. Yeah, I thought we were talking about that as well. I think that that to me made it uh... – a better experience than it's been in the past because I used to be one of those people who's watching the game and then they're like, well, we got three minutes left, but now we're going to cut over to the start of whatever. And it's like, wait a minute. Right. You know, I want to, I want to see this one finish. Uh, it takes a little more work. You got, you actually have to flick a channel or two. Um, but just the overall experience I thought was much different, much improved from, uh, from what we've had previously. Uh, Ash, you do a, a great job, obviously on the MVP race, uh, that's on NBA.com every Friday, I believe, every Friday morning. Every Friday. It's been Derrick Rose for a long time for a lot of people. Is there any is there any way he doesn't seal this thing up here in the last couple of weeks of the regular season, do you think? Yeah, I guess there are a couple of ways it could happen. If he were to go down with an injury and, and be sidelined for, you know, three, three of the final weeks, mm-hmm. um, I could see that really hurting his, his candidacy. Although, if the Bulls lost a bunch of games – that would sort of demonstrate his value. So it could have, you know, that, that, that effect with some voters. If, um, you know, if one of, the, one of the other top players were to lead his team to sort of a, an 11-0 close to the season and that would impact playoff seeds, I could see that having uh, some impact. I, I just think, though, that, you know, Derrick Rose has sort of stood the test of time over, over the course of, right. you know, 70 or so of these, of these 82 games. Um, he has come up big in, in uh, you know, games against top competition. He has had big individual games himself. Uh, he has shown up when he's had plenty of good teammates who have not been able to play many of those games. So I think that, I think that this is sort of the year of Derrick Rose uh, unless something dramatic changes. Well, well Steve, who's uh, next in line? Who, who would be the next guy uh, if something dramatic does happen? Changes every week, Lang. That's why people <laughs> to switch on him. No, I've had Dwight Howard for a couple of weeks at number two, just because I think that he's doing everything possible to ask of him. Uh, you know, he might not have the the supporting cast that 
people want to uh, to see around, you know, uh, Dwight Howard uh, in terms of an Orlando push deep in right. the playoffs. But in terms of what he's done, both on the court and and even off the court, in in being critical of what was going on there early in the season that led to the to the to the trades, um, calling out players in terms of you know the emotion with which they would play and and the uh, the passion. I think that that's uh, you know that's that's what you look for in an MVP candidate. And then you know Kobe is you know, Kobe, and ever since the All Star break, I mean, I thought the I thought the late night shooting in Miami was kind of a <laughs> oh, wait a minute, I shouldn't frame I shouldn't phrase it that way. Um, I thought the on court shooting practice in Miami yes. after the game there yes. was a little melodramatic, but um, you know it was done pointedly. He didn't go up to the, the Heat's workout gym where none of the media or janitors would have seen him. He did it in plain sight, and that was for a reason. Steve, do you do you feel like, uh, you know, so many times we, we anoint a guy, you know, before his time or, you know, maybe before he's ready for, for this. In Rose's case, he's been kind of a reluctant hero in, in terms of a guy who wanted to be the face of this franchise and the way it's happened. He's kind of had to be arm wrestled to this point. And, uh, and now that he's here, you know, we're talking what three years in and he's, he's got people in Chicago thinking not just championship, but multiple championships. Um, I mean, do you think he, he seems ready for it, but do you think he's prepared for what that means when you, when you get saddled with this savior, uh, tag in the NBA? Um, I, you know what? I think there's a difference between a guy who's ready for it, but he's humble about it, mm-hmm. and a guy who isn't ready for it because his maturity level is not up to snuff yet. And I've been able to see Rose, you know, a lot this season, just as I saw Kevin Garnett when he was a, a seedling. And, you know, it, it, there's similarity there. And I think that you see this, this uh, growth and these, these big steps with some of these great players, and mm-hmm. and Rose took it this year. I mean, he showed, he's the one who showed up at training camp saying, "Why why couldn't I be MVP?" Mm-hmm. Nobody had ever breathed his name in in connection with that. Nobody had ever cast a vote for him in his first two years. Um, he would be, by the way, the first MVP if he wins it. He'll be the first guy to win it in 38 years who's never had an MVP vote previously in his career. Wow! Dave Collins was the last guy to do that. He won it in his third year. And, um, you know, it's a lot early. Um, you know, let's remember a year ago people were, thought, were thinking that, you know, Kevin Durant, as, as youngest scoring champ, would exactly. also become a, you know, the likely MVP, the preseason favorite to unseat LeBron as MVP for this season. Mm-hmm. And Durant, he had a, got off to a slow start. I think that, that that maybe took a little of the edge off of his uh, candidacy, but also... You know, he's got Russell Westbrook as a uh, tremendous sidekick, and that tends to uh, water down a little bit mm-hmm. a guy's candidacy because, well, if you have that much help, if, that, if you have a, a teammate of that caliber, how much heavy lifting do you have to do? But, you know, Kevin Durant is, uh, you know, he's, he's every bit ready for it, and so this thing of, you know, the young guys um, having next, I, I, you know, I think Derrick Rose, he probably saw a little of that and figured, well, yeah, why not me? Steve, you talked about you watched Derrick Rose play a lot, and by trade, you watched the Bulls play a lot. Do you think it's too soon to talk about the Bulls as a championship team this season? Yeah, I do. I think that that team is still flawed. Mm-hmm. I think that there are several things that, that they need to address, um, some of which they can try to do between now and the end, um, some of which won't happen until the summertime. 
you know, Derrick Rose is, he isn't the guy who sits out. I think he's missed one game so far this season. And he's on the court most of the time. He's got the ball in his hands. Uh, he has uh, put himself on the line physically, uh, fatigue, all those things. And I, and I think that the Bulls better pay attention to not grinding him down. Now, they just invited a couple of guys back onto the roster, Gennaro Pargo and John Lucas III. Mm-hmm. And I think you know that's primarily to ease up some of the demands on Rose in practice. But there are games where C.J. Watson, who, who's had a pretty good year, but there are games where they're not happy with him. And if they just have to keep putting Rose back in there, it, it's it's a lot. Um, I, it's funny because I think of the Chicago team a little bit like what we saw go on in Cleveland with LeBron and a little bit of what we saw in Miami be, before LeBron. I mean, Derrick Rose reminds me of Dwayne Wade to a degree in terms of the way he dominates his team, his offense, uh-huh. um, and takes a lot of hard falls and a lot of punishment. In terms of the Cleveland thing, I mean, this is a guy who has the ball in his hands a lot, and the other guys have learned to play around him. Uh, they just they, they don't have all the help. I mean, they have Keith Bogans as the starting shooting guard. Right? They need a better scoring second option, and until Carlos Boozer can be relied, in, relied on excuse me, night in, night out, um, you can't really say he's that guy. Carlos Boozer, see, he's smart. He's a savvy veteran, and he knows ah, I'm not going to be rushing back from an injury. <laughs> like, so right. He ends up always fresher than somebody like Derrick Rose, who says, "Well, they can't, they can't play without me. I got to get back. I'll rush back sooner, or I'll play through a game where I probably should sit." And and Carlos Boozer, you never worry about him wearing out, do you? <laughs> Ash, I I love. Uh... The scope you mentioned it earlier of the things you've seen around the league in in just in basketball in general. Um, you mentioned Kevin Garnett, and is that, is that a buzzword for being old or what? I was trying to be politically <laughs> correct with that because you know I don't, I don't see numbers in you know when we're talking about people's age. I see experience and wisdom, and you have uh, quite a bit of that, my friend. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but no, I mean you've you you've had the the you know the the chance to see kind of this this generational shift obviously in the game not just as a an onlooker but as somebody who's covered it and and been you know intricately involved in the nuts and bolts of how this league has run do you feel like this era that we're entering in right now with you know I think I forget the number but there's like this huge number of players under the age of 25 who are in the league right now, who are star players or on the cusp of being star players. Is this a generational shift we're, get, we're going to see here with KG and Kobe and that, uh, those players maybe moving on in the next few years, and Rose and his contemporaries, even the guys younger than maybe LeBron and, and, and Carmelo and those guys, but this younger generational shift with Rose and Durant and these guys coming in like – do you think that's what we're seeing, and and how do you know? Like, how have you seen one before, and how do you know it's happening? Yeah, you know, you're always looking for the the one that has legs. Um, you know, when 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 Michael Jordan uh, and his run was essentially over, which really was '98 with the Bulls. I mean, the, the years he was back with Washington was, you know, sort of asterisk a time. But um, you know, you see that, and, and people looked right then. Oh, who's going to fill the void? And you had Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson and. You know, some of the AI to a degree did it, and, and yet other guys, Shaq, obviously, and, and Kobe stepped up. But um, to me, it's just cyclical, and, and some of these runs last longer, mm-hmm. and some of them flame out. And, and I think it is interesting that, 
you know, the class of 2003 uh, with Wade and Bosch and LeBron and, and you know, that, that's – they better get on with it now. I mean, you know, Carmelo <laughs> is joining uh, Amari in New York, and um, they got big ambitions there in New York. But you know what? Oklahoma City and Chicago might have some things to say about that. So you get, you get old early in, in this league, and um, – yeah, I mean, LeBron, if LeBron thinks they're going to be winning six or seven championships, um, you know, they're, they're going to be a little long in the tooth when they're pulling that off. Now, <laughs> you know, it seems like this league is, a lot of times it's about youth for the flash and the style and, 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 and maybe the individual acclaim, but it's about age and experience for some of the team stuff, the collective glory. And, and I think with San Antonio and with Boston – um, the Lakers, to a degree, I mean, we'll probably see that again this spring where you might have the youngest MVP ever, but you'll have, you know, an old group winning the, ch- the championship again. So I guess there is hope. It's just that maybe what, what Boston get grasped very quickly in terms of how those guys had all sort of been there, done that individually when they came together a few years back and fit together nicely, maybe that's what Miami, maybe that's what New York, maybe that's what the next super team needs to figure out quickly and and not let the time pass. Those windows, you know, don't last forever. But I, I like the young guys. I think the, the league's in great hands, but ultimately they have to learn how to win too. No doubt about it. Steve Ashburner, NBA.com's very own. Thank you, Ash, for joining us, man. And uh, we look forward to checking out all your stuff on NBA.com, especially that MVP race on Fridays, I know it gets a ton of uh, email sent your way. Uh, don't take it personal. No, no, no. I, I'm <laughs> equally despised in Turkey and in Denmark and in Germany, and uh, the globe is full of equal opportunity uh, uh, hate mail. <laughs> no doubt about it. Ash. I appreciate every every last click. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thank you. Thanks, Anytime, Steve. Gents. All right, Lang. I I asked him that question. Um, and and we haven't talked about it here on the show, um, you know. But when you start looking at the ages of all right. a lot of these players, and he he framed it in a really good context, LeBron, Wade, that class, they've got all of one championship to show for all of these All Star appearances and everything else. They, you know, Jordan won six, so right. the group he came in with, you know, if you start tracking his generation of, of players, you know. A lot of times there's going to be one guy who, who hoards the, the bulk of the championships. Jordan did it during his era, you know. Um, Magic and Bird did it <laughs> during their era. Well, and Kobe doesn't you know, seem Kobe has to... the same thing with it during his era. <laughs> hey. um, Shaq to an extent, you know, hey. I guess. Because these eras overlap, obviously, these yeah. these movements in, in the game. But, you know, we're talking about now a, a, a young crop of players – I don't know how long you hold off Durant and Derrick Rose and these guys if you're LeBron and Carmelo and D. Wade and Bosch and these guys. Like like Steve said, you got to get moving on winning championships now because your window, unless the, the, the specs stay the same and veteran teams win and young guys wait their turn, it's going to be tough. I mean, it's going to be a dogfight to win these championships. Well, some of the – like we talk about – the younger guys and we talk about Wade. I mean, Wade's 29. I know, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, and as Steve said, like they're not getting any younger. And I, the thing now is that Kobe doesn't seem to be in any rush to, 
to let his generation move on. <laughs> the Celtics <laughs> don't either. Right. And I mean, you're going to have to take it from those guys if you're going to want to get a title before this next younger generation comes along, like you said, and, and starts seriously contending for for their titles. Yes. Yeah, it, I, I just think it's an interesting dynamic, you know, when you talk about the, the basic setup of the league and how there's this movement of young stars, uh, right. And, you know, you can get caught in the middle. You can get caught up in that middle mix where, you know, you think you're on the on the right side of the, the age line, and before you know it, you're like Vince Carter and T-Mac and those guys. You know, their little their window of winning a championship came and went so fast mm-hmm. because Kobe, once Kobe starts winning them with Shaq and the Lakers, their opportunities shrink, you know. Yeah. Um, you got you to gotta get on whatever the team is, either on the other side of the, the conference divide or – or you have to be on the team that knocks the Lakers off, which they were on. You know, that didn't happen. But it was very, you know, very interesting dynamic, I think, um, when you're talking about the, the the way the league runs and how, and kind of how it goes in those cycles. Uh, like, I got a question for you, though, from a, from a listener. And uh, he sent me an email about this. Very interesting. Um, his name is Sai Vasesh, and he's an Indian teenager, is what he said, in studying in Singapore. Okay. Said he's a big fan of the you know the Hangtime Blog and podcast. Listens to it, loves our opinions. Doesn't agree with us all the time, but he listens anyway. Um, and, he, and he said he's. This is interesting because it it it's what made me think about that generational divide and kind of how that whole thing breaks down. Now he's a teenager. Remember this. So his okay. his his lifespan of watching the NBA is not even as long as ours. Which and we and we're still considered relatively young guys when we're in a room with the Ashburners and the Fran Blindberries and the. And some of the veterans who have been covering the league a lot longer than we have. Um, he said he's read hundreds of articles where people have called Chris Bosh and Pau Gasol soft. Um, and his question is, how come he's never heard anybody or come across any instance where Dirk Nowitzki has been referred to as soft? He said he's a seven-footer. He averages around seven rebounds, which is mediocre for a big man. He plays in the high post and always settles for jumpers and doesn't bang in the middle with the other big men. Now, <laughs> I, I, remind, I, I kindly reminded him of – the things he's missed being a teenager <laughs> yeah, and that, you know, for the early part of Dirk's career, that was all anybody ever said about him. You know, he's so mm-hmm. skilled, da, 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 but he's soft. He doesn't like to bang. Um, and I, and I kind of explained to him that, Hey, Dirk's so good at what he does that the soft tag just kind of melted away over the years, you know, because he's not just a good outside shooter. He's a great outside shooter. Yeah. He's a devastating offensive force at seven feet tall, wherever he plays on the floor, because his, his shot is basically unblockable. Um, but it, but it struck me that he that he says that he's never heard about Dirk being you know labeled as soft. Do do you remember? I mean, I'm assuming you like me remember the time when that was the big knock on Dirk. Totally. Yeah. And I, that I think it changed when he won the MVP. Yeah. And then people were like, and when he went to the finals, you know, and then people were like, oh, well, this is just how he plays, and instead of him changing for us, we need to change for him. You know, one thing with Dirk to me that really jumps out in this season is uh, people say if he settles for jump shots, whatever, you know, he's shooting 53% from the floor this season. <laughs> and that's a guy who shoots a lot of jump shots. Uh, it's the highest shooting percentage of his career from the field. Um, you know, his, his numbers are a little down this year, kind of like Duncan, not as drastic as Duncan, but like, I think it's the fewest minutes per game since his rookie year. Right. And um, 
you know, 23 points per game is a little low for him, but uh, I think that's partly one of the reasons that Dallas has been so successful is that they've been able to manage everything and, you know, they're kind of looking for the postseason. But to the point about Dirk being soft, yeah, that was the knock on him for a long time. And uh, I think it went away because we realized, you know, that's not who Dirk was and that what he was was something pretty special. But it wasn't any – I don't think we'd ever seen a player like that before. Yeah. yeah it's just a interesting sidelight, um, you know, that I've, I've – I get those kinds of emails all the time, people asking questions, and it it's really interesting where you know where the questions come from. Obviously, the global audience for the game and mm-hmm. uh, certainly for the the podcast is great, and uh, we appreciate all the stuff you send in. We talked earlier, Lang, about Jimmer Fredette, and and we didn't get a chance to really quiz Ash about it. Um, but our next guest is a guy who who has some Jimmer connections, if if you will. Um, NBA.com's rookie guru himself, Drew Packham, is, you know, gracious enough to join us here again on the podcast. And, Drew, what's happening, man? Hey, thank you. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Jimmer because I just was dying to talk about Jimmer. So I didn't want to just come on and be like, hey, guys, how's Jimmer? You know, so I'm glad you brought it up. Well, listen, I know any any good BYU fan, any good BYU alum out there is feeling really good about Jimmer Fredette and the Cougars and what they got going on right now in the NCAA tournament. But you have, an, you have a, a, a really intricate take on this thing because he may be one of the guys you have to keep up with all year next year as, as a, in the rookie class in the NBA. What do, you, what do you see from Jimmer in terms of how he makes that transition, Drew, from the college start that he is now to, to the NBA next year? You know what? It is, it's something that I'm looking forward to. I look forward to it so much, you know. We haven't had – I mean, I'm a BYU alum, as you know, say, kid. Yeah. So, you know, I know everything there is to know about BYU basketball. <laughs> There's not much to know, you know, but as far as the NBA goes. So this is like rare territory for us to have a guy that's even been talked about being good, you know. Yeah. So for me, I think it's just going to come down to what, what fit he, he gets, you know, what team gets him and where he's at and how he fits into that team. Yeah. You know, is he going to be, a, you know, a Landry Fields that kind of just – does the does the dirty work? Is he going to be on some you know terrible team where they turn the ball over to him, you know, and let him run it out there? I mean, that's what's going to come down to for him, you know. And uh, you know, because he's a guy that needs to have that green light, as you've seen, which he does have at BYU, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, if he has a green light like that, and a coach trusts him and says, you know what, we trust you to shoot it when you've got an open shot, you know, do your thing. You know, he could do all right, but, uh, you know, I'm just uh, still basking in the glow of a Sweet 16 birth, you know, so. <laughs> Drew, Drew, before we start talking about the rookies, um, I got BYU in my final four. Oh, wow. <laughs> Should I feel good about that, or what do you think? <laughs> they they do have a they do have probably the easiest path of any of the, uh, of a lot of the teams, you know. They've got uh, Florida, who we beat last year. I say we, sorry. <laughs> who uh, BYU beat last year in the first round, so they might be a little, uh, you know, upset, looking for a little revenge there. And then after that, we got Butler or uh, Wisconsin. You know, those are two winnable games. It's highly yeah. possible. You know, before the tournament, I said if we make the Sweet 16, I'll be happy. You know, because what happened with Davies and everything, it right. just kind of sucked sucked the light out of us. So I think they've got a really, really good shot as long as you know Jimmer does his thing, and as long as a couple of the uh, other guys do their thing. That's what's the biggest key for them, Drew. Do you th- 
moving on from from Jimmer and BYU to the the NBA rookie class. Yeah. Um, somebody sent me an email last week, and I couldn't tell if she was joking around or not. You know, she's like, "Hey, what do you think rookie of the year?" I'm thinking John Wall, and there was no ha ha or anything after. And I was like, "Uh," so I didn't there know how to. I didn't know how to respond. <laughs> I mean, is there any question that this is Blake Griffin's trophy? Um, at this stage, uh, I don't think so. I yeah. kind of, I kind of posed the question this last week on the ladder, kind right. of tongue in cheek, but kind of, you know, not to see what kind of response I'd get. Mm-hmm. You know, I put a poll up on the ladder. I think seventy-five percent said, you know, it's Blake's. He, no chance he loses it. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm in that camp. It would take literally, you know, Wall averaging thirty and fifteen over the last, you know, the rest of the season. Yeah, and and I don't see that happening. And as long as Blake's still doing, you know, 20 and 10, which he's barely doing, you know, I think he'll. there's no chance he'll get overtaken. Right. Drew, uh, it's Micah, by the way. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, you're watching these rookies. You're talking about Washington rookies. I'm a Hawks fan. I saw them throw Jordan Crawford as peanuts into that deal for Kirk Heinrich. Seems like he, you know, is getting some playing time, obviously, putting up some stats. Is Are these empty stats that you've seen so far? Does it seem like he's really making an impression there? From what I've seen, he's making an impression. Um, yeah, they are, you know, on a losing team, and he's finally getting minutes. But, I mean, you know, he's averaging like 20 points over his last five games, you know, 16 points in March. You know, and, and I've seen pretty good passing ability out of him as well, which surprised me. He's had some, you know, jaw-dropping passes, which was nice to see out of him. But uh, I like what I see. He's he's really active. He's quick, and uh, I think he could stick. If if nothing else, he's making an impression on some teams, you right. know. And so, for a rookie, that's all you need to do is get your get your name out there and have people looking at you. So, oh. uh, you know, being a Hawks fan, sorry about that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Come on now, hey hey Drew. One of the guys who I got I hadn't seen him much this year. And then those two games that were in London, I watched. And I I was really impressed. I know I think Seiko wrote about him a little bit too. It was Ed Davis on Toronto? Um, how has his season gone? And, and he's played. He's gotten better as the season's gone along, hasn't he? He has, and he's he's definitely. Um, you know, he started the season with some knee problems, or he, he tweaked himself in the summer. He didn't really uh, after summer league. He got a little hurt, so he missed training camp and a lot of things. But as it's gone along, he's gotten really better. Um, he's solid down low. You know, he's he's a good passer. He finishes. He, he hits the boards hard. Um, you know, and he's averaging like about nine and eight, something like that, you know. Pretty good numbers. And he, and he fits in well with those guys up there. You know, they've got a lot more, like, athletic guys, and he's kind of the guy that can kind of just come in and, and do the dirty work. But uh, I, I like what I see out of him. He, I don't see superstar out of him, but, right. you know, definitely a solid – a solid big man for them, you know. And, right. You know, he's, he's definitely getting better. So, Drew, how do you – I mean, in chronicling these rookies, and, you know, I'll be the first to admit that I don't know that there's any set criteria to translate from what I see from a guy in college or in the NCAA tournament that I, that guarantees to, to translate and, and make an – you know, help him make an impact at the pro level. You know, you look at Evan Turner, who we had on the show uh, mm-hmm. last week, all of the stuff he did, Big Ten Player of the Year, all that stuff, you know, big time player and big moments in college. It it hasn't it hasn't given him any sort of leg up on the you know, on how he 
fares as a rookie in the NBA. What right. what can you use to to gauge from from you know this this point in college to when they get to the league and how they're going to fare? Well, I think one of the biggest things, the, the first one is is fit. You know, where, how do they fit on their new team? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Evan came in and he's playing on the Sixers who are fighting for the playoffs, right? I mean, so, yeah. you know, he's kind of on a team with a lot of good players. You know, I don't know how he do put him on a team like, I don't know, the Warriors and throw him out there, or, you know, I don't know, just threw somebody out there, but even the Wolves or somebody like that where, you know, maybe he could get more shots up or whatever. But right. There's that, and then the other thing I like to look for is just, you know, the kind of passion they have, yeah. you know. And a, a guy that's a, a gamer and, like, a gym rat kind of guy, a lot of times those guys come through, and, and and I think that shines through for a lot of these rookies. You know, maybe a guy like a Landry Fields is like that, you know, where he's going to play hard every possession, yeah. you know. And I think the Knicks are eating that up right now, so. So who who finishes the year? You know, I I noticed on the T-Mobile Rookie Ladder on NBA.com, you got uh, some some guys. Micah mentioned one of them, obviously, in Jordan Crawford. But Greg Monroe is a guy who's mm-hmm. kind of been in in the mix. Who who's the guy that's that's had the most impressive finish? Uh, Samardo Samuels is on this list. Mm-hmm. Um, who you know who's the guy who's maybe resurrected himself from the start of the year or a slow start? Who's the who's that guy that's that's made an impression as we finish up the regular season here? Well, the one guy I'm pinpointing lately is Patrick Patterson on the Rockets. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's playing on a potential playoff team. You know, they're fighting for that last seed. They're playing really well. I think they've won four straight maybe, something like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's a big reason for that. Um, I think he's got three straight double-doubles. He's averaging like 15 and 12 over his last, you know, maybe in March, something like that. And, uh, you know, I when I saw him in Vegas, I really liked what I saw. He was he's solid. He worked hard. He had a good attitude. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I thought he was going to fare better right out of the gate, um, especially with Yao Ming out and all this. So to see him finally getting some more minutes, you know, is, is good to see. And I, I see him coming on strong. And I like that he's finally starting to show what he can do. Yeah. Well, we <laughs> – Drew, uh, if if the BYU Cougars make the Final Four, let's just lock it in. We're having you back so we can have a a, a Jimmer party. We'll you know oh, yeah. we'll just talk ten solid minutes about everything that Jimmer means to BYU and its alums and, and, the, and the Cougar faithful. And, you have, you have uh, no and how big a party it's going to be. To BYU fans right now, it is just, <laughs> it's unbelievable what, what's going on. That's sweet, man. Jimmer mania and uh, Drew Packham joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. As always, my man, we appreciate it. All right, thanks for having me. Take care. All right, man. Take care. Lang, we we missed the boat. Do you realize that? We oh, do. We, <laughs> we, we missed a lot of boats in our time. <laughs> we could have got in on the fake draft analysis business because clearly nobody knows for sure who's going to pan out. Let's just get in there and do our own Mel Kuyper type thing and just, you know, just make it up. <laughs> this guy's got great intangibles. What's What's the one you like? He moves great without the ball. Yeah, that's the that's the, that's my go-to. Like, if you're on a – well, you get this, too, when you're doing, like, a radio hit or whatever, and they ask you about someone you have no idea about. Yeah. Somebody told me that a long time ago, that that's what you're supposed to say is, well, he moves well without the ball. Because no one really knows if that's <laughs> – no, no one's really noticed that yet. Having a clue. Yeah, so you just wait and you go, well, 
Well, you know, the interesting, sacred, interesting thing about John Smith is he really moves well without the ball. I, I, I'm thinking, why not? I mean, uh, sure. You know, it's the most inexact science going. Um, <laughs> I got a great email from somebody, and I posted on Hangtime Blog today. Um, it was the ten most abused basketball be- cliches you'll be hearing this month, and okay. uh, it was a it was a great list. And uh, my favorite, I put it out, out here. It's number five. They're getting some good open looks. And I can't tell you how many times I heard that this weekend in the armchair analysis of these games. Oh, they're getting great open looks. They're just not knocking out shots. And this this list asks the the $64 million question, is there such a thing as a bad open look? You know what I mean? There's so much of this that's just hyperbole and rhetoric. And, you know, again, I think we have missed our calling. We should be like the tag team draft duo uh you know we could call ourselves funky Mel kuiper like we could even play off kuiper's name and <laughs> let's start come up I'm with ready. a website i think michael what do you think you think we could work something out i was i'm sorry i got stuck on i was thinking of a bad open look would be josh <laughs> Smith for three <laughs> there are bad open looks <laughs> no that i don't think they're bad open look. i think they're bad decisions made when a guy has an open look maybe yeah but who doesn't want to get who doesn't want to get the ball wide open without anybody guard everybody wants it like that you just don't want everybody shooting when they get the ball like that. Uh, we didn't. We didn't even talk about your Hawks this week, which I was trying to spare you. I watched. I watched LeBron get forty-three of the easiest points I've ever seen a guy get uh, against your Hawks Friday night at Phillips Arena. It was. How do I put this delicately? Uh, it was frightening to watch the Hawks go out there and play in such a ghostly fashion, fellas. Y'all. Y'all have some serious. Serious things to work out. I think you need an intervention. Head to the locker room, both the both of you, with uh, your rosary beads, and talk to your team. I, the thing with the Hawks is they're so up and down, yeah, and they're so inconsistent, and you don't really know which team you're going to get from night to night. And I, I think for Hawks fans, that's the most maddening part is you just don't know. They can beat Chicago, they can beat Boston, they can sweep <laughs> Boston a couple of years ago, but yeah. you know, then they come out and they don't play well at home against Miami or these other teams. And you don't, you just really don't know. And I think if they can, you know, the, for all those good and bad things, but when Mike Woodson was there, like the one thing I really appreciated the most was how consistent he was right? with his approach, with everything he did. And I think that lent a lot of consistency to the team that they didn't have. And I, I yeah. think now that's what they're struggling to find is some sort of consistency somewhere. Yeah. it's it. I mean, it was, Arthur Trish was giving me the business about, being at the game because I was complaining about my seat. And uh, I, I fired off a few uh, sincere tweets that probably would get me in trouble if if any of the big bosses were actually reading my tweets. So let's thank goodness <laughs> that they're not. But uh, one of them was, a, you know, he said I needed directions to the arena since I, I come so uh, infrequently now. And I told <laughs> him all I'd have to do is take a left on Peachtree and a right on home team plays with no energy at all. I mean, they literally – don't exhibit the kind of energy you'd expect out of a home team in the NBA. You can go watch a horrible team play at home, and they seem to, you know, swell up and play with the kind of emotion and force you need to win, you know, or at least give yourself a chance to win on the home floor. They were getting drilled so bad the other night um, that people people took off at the end of the third quarter. It was, again, and and we pick on the Hawks mostly because we're here, you know, we're here in Atlanta, and all of us have some connections with them. But I'm I'm looking at teams now these last two three weeks of the season and it's not always the best indicator but it's it's certainly 
something of a, of a you know an alarm for me is how do you how do you approach the big games at the end of a season? Like how do you approach trap games, big games, contests where you're facing a team that you might see in the playoffs? Those sorts of things. Is there anyone else that you've noticed, Micah Lang, these last you know three weeks that you say this team doesn't look like they're playing with the kind of confidence or the kind of metal I want to see out of a team that's expected to do something in the playoffs? Well, I mean, you know, Boston's six and four in their last ten. Yeah. But with them, I don't. I see it more as them just trying to like kind of conserve a little bit. Going, in, you know, they know what they're doing. They've been there before. I'm not really as worried with them. I think that was why everyone was so worried about the Lakers before yeah. the All Star break. Right. You know, and I think we made the point then at the time, like, look, it, there's a lot of time left. Give them some time, and then you know, after the All Star break, of course, I got red hot. Yeah, um, it's the Lakers for goodness sakes, two tennis. Yeah, champs, so I don't, I don't, I'm not really. I don't think there's uh, any of those top three teams, you know, in either conference. That I mean, maybe Miami five and five in their last ten, but. Yeah. Other than that, um, and Miami is another team that's so inconsistent lately. You don't really know what you're going to get out of them. Right. My- I mean, I'd kind of say the Knicks, but, I mean, they're still just kind of, A, getting their bearings, and, B, they're really not any different at this point record-wise <laughs> than they were before they made right. the trade. Yeah. I think I think there's a lot, the getting the bearings thing, I think that really matters with them because you go, the, the D'Antoni system is so different. For a lot of those guys, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. granted, they played in Denver where they scored a lot of points, but um, you know, Amari was so dominant with the ball before Carmelo and Billups came in, and now they're trying to figure out how to work them all in together. And I think until they get that straightened out, they're going to keep being inconsistent like this. What's the mood in in New York? Like, I know there was so much excitement when the trade first went down, and people were going crazy. Has it has that shine worn off and is it now this deal where that, you know, people are trying to figure out who to throw overboard? You no, know, I don't think or is I don't, it still, they feel good about the, the direction, obviously long-term, but about what they might be able to do this season. No, I think people are still excited. I, I've seen just the last week, I noticed two or three people wearing Carmelo t-shirts out in the street, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, I, I think it, when that, when the excitement slows down, then, you know, the way it works here is that everyone's going to be ready to pack it in and move on to baseball or whatever. But, yeah. uh, you know, I think to be reasonable, people don't expect the Knicks to win a title this year. Right. But it, it's a lot of fun to watch, and it's uh, exciting to have a Carmelo Anthony here with an Amari Stoudemire. And, and I still think that Billups is the guy who's kind of getting overlooked, who's, who could be the most important part of all that yeah. uh, and the biggest part of that trade. Yeah, well, I mean – I'm just, you know, it's one of those deals where I like to watch these teams at the end of the regular season to see who is kind of riding what sort of wave, knowing full well that, you know, the Lakers, what, lost seven of their last 11 in the regular season and and went on to win their second straight title last year. It's just, like you said, if you're not an elite team, right? we don't have much to go on. You know, we don't have anything other than what you're doing right now to go on in terms of how you might do in, in the in the very near future, specifically the playoffs. So it becomes an interesting interesting thing. Are you – Lang, where, what are your plans in terms of game watching between now and the end of the regular season? Are you going to try and watch – you know, sit back and watch as many as you can? Are you going to lock in on any specific teams? I mean, what's your – because I'm, I'm, uh, my thinking is that now is the time for me I'm going to start really honing in on specific teams that I, that I plan on watching as they go into the playoffs. Yeah, I, I'm going to just try to watch as much as I can. Um, 
And between all these college games being on and, you know, the TNT <laughs> games are on Tuesday night this week. That's right. Doubleheader. So, like, yeah, so tomorrow night there's games on the, the NBA doubleheader. And then Thursday, I guess, the NCAA starts up again. So I'm just going to try to watch whatever's on and, yeah. and, you know, get as much in as I can between now and the start of the playoffs. No doubt. Uh, Micah, we just like for you to stay here in town, um, cut out these trips to Vegas because nobody has – Marta fare to lend you to get around town, my man. Well, unless I can get to Vegas using the the cost of a Marta token, uh, <laughs> then I won't be going anytime soon. <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. Well, listen, uh, we got to thank our guests, Steve Ashburner and Drew Packham, both of NBA.com. Family guys here joining us on the Hangtime Podcast. And, uh, guys, let's try and uh, do this again next week. Let's, let's, uh, let's get back in here for – for our Number big 50. shindig, baby, episode 50 of the Hang Time Podcast is coming up next week. We have to find some special guests to throw at everybody next week and make sure we uh, do it right. Uh, Micah, I'm, I'm throwing this challenge out to you now. Surprise us next week. Two words, President Obama. I'm, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that. <laughs> for Josh, our, our engineer today, for Micah Hart, our super producer, Lang Whitaker in New York. This is Sekou Smith. Thanks for joining us on episode 49 of the Hang Time Podcast. We will see you next week. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Sekou and Lang on Twitter at SekouSmithNBA and Lang Whitaker. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. 